0: podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Tasia. And I'm Corinne. And today we are talking about The Queen of Nothing by Holly Black, joined once again by our friend, Jesse.
1: Hey, everybody. (laughs) I thought you were through with me, but now I'm back.
2: Very ominous entry. I like it what I really like about this timing I was trying to figure this out with Jesse how many times she's been here and I think this might be seven we counted which is great but it's also like almost the one year anniversary of Jesse being on because she was here for our Scorpio races episode which we recorded on November 1st because that's when that book is it opens on November 1st we did that intentionally so we're really like coming full circle at a year here and I really like it
1: our most That's frequent collabor-
2: collaborator.
1: And oh, is it a book with another morally gray, <laughs> dark haired male <laughs> character? Shocking. Jesse's going to be
2: here? What? Why? Well, we might be noticing a pattern. <laughs> but no, as I. I'm really glad you're here for this episode, Jesse. As I talked about in our first episode when Jenna was on, you two were the main impetus for me reading this series. And I'm very grateful for it because I love it and it has stuck with me for a really long time. And I just have great memories of like shouting into our text message thread about it. So uh, this is great. Here we all are. Talk about it again. But before we dive into this book, what are we all obsessing over this week? I ask as though I don't know, and it's not all the same thing. So who wants to talk about what it is? Uh, Jesse, you are the first one who read it.
0: So
1: you should take this one. Yeah. So I I believe you you guys have already talked about what it it happened one summer, Mm the Tessa Bailey book. So we all read and enjoyed that lovely book earlier this year. And Tessa Bailey announced like, kind of subtly on her Instagram that she was coming out with a holiday novella called Window Shopping. And the cover is like very generic. It's like pretty and cartoony with just like presents on the cover. Um, And so I immediately pre-ordered it because I like to support independent um, self-published books. And I liked her and I really had no intention of reading it. And I don't really like holiday books. I don't like Christmas. and so But it dropped in my iPad the day of when it came out this past Tuesday, and I was really hating everything that I was reading, so I, I was like, I'm gonna pick it up. It, you know, the sex will be good. It's Tess Bailey, and I was <laughs> blown away by how much I enjoyed this. It was just so lovely. It's a it's a 250 page novella, basically. Grumpy Sunshine, uh, a grumpy uh, our grumpy uh, female protagonist just got out of prison and um, meets uh, our Ted Lasso like. Male protagonist staring in a window um, around Christmas in New York. And um, I don't know how much you guys usually go into the plot, um, but it's just really lovely and super, super hot.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's funny because the whole Ted Lasso male hero aspect of it, like, should not work for me because that is just absolutely not my type. But Tessa Bailey, man, we worship at the altar because she knocked that out of the park and I'm like, do, do I like that now? Like, I I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to rewatch Ted Lasso and like keep a straight face ever again. Yeah.
2: Yeah. She was very clear in all of her promo for the book that that was the inspiration. He's not described as physically looking like Jason Sudeikis, which I think is good. Uh, but yeah, no, I totally agree. I'm like, Oh, someone please be like very nice to me in this same way, but then also just (laughs) really, really excel at, at the dirty talk <laughs> in The scenes. It was, it was quite uh quite a lot to handle, but it was also just a lot of really fun, like character development. It packed a lot of depth into a really short mm-hmm. novella and it was really impressive. I had just finished reading a much longer contemporary romance out of that. And what window shopping was able to do in 250 pages compared to what that full length novel did uh, and how it excelled in a lot of ways was just Just really staggering stuff. I'm going to read everything that Tessa puts out from here forward. It's, it's great. We love it. I was looking at Tessa Bailey reviews
0: and I saw, uh, some magazine or other had called her the Michelangelo of dirty talk. And I'm like, yeah, that's, it's apt. Honestly, nobody, nobody does that better than she does.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it was very fun. So I'm glad that, uh, peer pressure, not really peer pressure. You guys didn't say anything to pressure me, but my own internal FOMO, propelled me to read that despite having a very busy week and then shirking the reading for this podcast until very very recently let's just say <laughs> uh, that i finished uh, the book we're talking about here today uh, but I, just because I, again i had a busy week but i'm glad i was able to squeeze this thing because it was just such a delight and it was so good so we really recommend it it's on kindle just give yourself a little treat you all deserve it One of the reasons, though, I guess my other obsession for the week I was so busy is because I had the great honor of accompanying Jesse to many films that were playing this week as part of the Chicago International Film Festival where we live, which Jesse is a member. And she kindly brought me along to some screenings and we saw some great things. It was very fun. What did we see? Now I'm blanking. I've seen a lot of movies this week.
1: We saw did the you guys French see dispatch. We did see Spencer, which was spectacular. Yeah, I really believe the
2: case to hype. Our girls come a long way since Twilight. It's very thrilling to see. Yeah, we saw the French dispatch as part of Timothy Chalamet October, of which I've been looking forward to for some time. If you've seen my uh, Instagram profile picture, am I wearing a shirt in it that says Chalamet all day? Indeed I am. Did I wear that when I saw Dune? Yes, I did. Uh, so uh, we saw Dune. We saw... Spencer, we saw The first Dispatch, and we saw Belfast, which was a, the surprise for me, I think. was a really good movie, written and directed by Kenneth Branagh, who was there, and is very dishy in, in real life. Very handsome man. Uh, so that was really, really fun. And the lead-up to award season, which should be back on track this year, like the Oscar is going to be at normal time in like February this year, right?
1: Yeah, and it'll be a little bit more less isolated, I think, than than last year's very self-contained ceremony oh, so that was really fun uh, thank you jesse for letting me go with you thank you for accompanying me and saving my place in line when i got snacks so
2: we had a really good tag team system down by the end it was it was very uh beneficial to us both i had a lot of fun but then we did all read this which was super great and like i said this this book really wraps up a lot of things like we talked about last episode it's a really fun book to dive into after the end of the first book. But before I guess we dive into it ourselves, we'll start here uh, with a quick book summary, as we always do. Jude is living in the mortal world after Cardin exiled her following the murder of Balkan. When Taryn arrives with the news that she has killed Locke, Jude agrees to go back to Elphim and pose as Taryn during the royal inquest into Locke's death. Because of the gish placed on her by Dane, Jude cannot be glamoured and therefore can easily lie about Taryn's involvement in his death. When Jude arrives, she is brought before Carden, who immediately knows that she is Jude and not Taryn. Before they can discuss the miscommunication over her exile, Maddox stages a rescue attempt for Taryn and his men whisk Jude away from the palace. Jude is brought to Maddox's army's camp where she continues to pretend to be Taryn. While she is there, she encounters the ghost who's being held captive by Maddox. He explains that Locke knew his true name and therefore could compel the ghost to act as he wished. This is why the ghost betrayed Jude at the end of the previous book. Jude plots to escape Maddox's camp with the ghost, but the roach and Cardin show up to save her. After the roach is poisoned, Cardin returns with him to the palace while Jude rushes to free the ghost. When she gets there, Maddox is waiting, having realized that she is Jude after all. They fight and Maddock stabs Jude. Jude's sisters arrive to help her escape, and Jude uses the land to help heal herself, which she is able to do because of her rightful status as High Queen. Jude guesses that Maddock, who also knows the ghost's name, has sent the ghost to assassinate Cardin. Jude sneaks into the palace to warn Carden only to be accused of coming back to assassinate Carden herself. Carden reveals that she is actually the High Queen of Eltham and is not in exile at all. The ghost goes to Taryn, who also knows his true name, and commands him to forget all of Maddox's orders. Jude uses her connection to the land to heal the roach. As Maddock approaches the palace with threats of war, Carden and Jude try to plot against the threat after a ball at which they try to win over potential allies. Jude and Carden have sex for the first time. Maddock comes to negotiate telling Carden that he's unfit to rule and demanding the crown for himself in a gesture meant to convey that the crown isn't more important than being a good ruler. And in literal fulfillment of a prophecy made at the time of his birth, Carden breaks the crown in half. However, the crown bears a curse and Carden is turned into a large serpent that poisons the land. Jude contemplates using a magical bridle to bind the serpent to her will, which she thinks about doing because then she could keep Carden with her. Instead, she decides to cut the serpent's head off, realizing that it would be unfair to keep Carden trapped as the serpent forever. Carden then emerges from the remains of the serpent. Maddox surrenders and vows to bow only to Jude. Jude and Carden proceed to rule over fairy as high king and queen, and Jude banishes Maddox to the mortal world, where she and Carden go to visit her sisters in Oak to celebrate their marriage with pizza. All right. So before we dive into the book itself, uh, I think what you two wanted to start with as people who read these books in real time was the weight between these two books, The Wicked King and then The Queen of Nothing.
1: Right. So
0: the
2: Jesse Tasia
0: friendship origin story.
1: <laughs> the, the weight between these books, all of these books was excruciating. But the weight between The Wicked King and Queen of Nothing I, I can't even put into words how much I agonized over the wording of Carden's exile message <laughs> to you because I immediately was like, wait, she's queen, she can pardon herself immediately. That's what I thought, and then the fact that there's the epilogue where she's so surly and sitting there so mad, made me so confused. And
0: watching Euryanthe.
1: Yeah, I never Googled, like tried to be part of a fan discourse, like more than I did with these books. But because I read it immediately when it came out and like in two days, no one was talking about it. And so for months and weeks, like I was just Googling, like did anyone else like parse out the, (laughs) like making a Reddit account just like desperate. And I I did find like one post that was like, well, she is queen and it like outlined the steps in order for her to, to come back to it. But when, when I saw Tasia was reading this book in our online community, we hadn't really spoken a, a ton before. And I immediately messaged her. I was like, I need to know your thoughts on this. Like, is there a loophole? Like what's going on? And that's, that's, uh, our origin. It, it was sorry. one of those, Oh my God, are you suffering too? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we love to mutually
2: oh. suffer together.
1: Mm-hmm. It was uh, so, so painful because I, I thought I was going sort of Crazy, like, is it just me? Like, am I missing something? And it's so that's why it's really rewarding to read this book. And Jude goes on kind of a similar uh, journey with the wording of of the message. And I think that you all have covered really well a lot of the thought behind why she doesn't necessarily see what's right in front of her face right away.
2: Yeah, yeah. We talked last week about how easy. It is for us as outsiders to look at it and realize what Carden is doing. But that said, it is still a huge cliffhanger because, and I can imagine like in that moment when you have however much time was between these two books, especially parsing that on real time, that you're just kind of like spinning your wheels because it is really shocking. We're trying to think off air about like, what is a comparable cliffhanger and it's hard for me as someone who was able to read these books back to back to like say that this was the, the hardest one because I didn't have to wait through it. I think probably the closest for me is like the end of Wayward Son by Rainbow Rowell into Anyway, the Wind Blows. That was a huge cliffhanger and just like emotional turmoil that the characters were left Yeah, in. it's almost similar in the
0: sense that like it feels like both of these relationships are hanging in the balance at the end of those books.
2: Yeah, totally. So it's, it is really artfully done. I think by Holly to leave enough doubt in the reader's mind, even though, again, we like to think now with the benefit of hindsight, like years later that we were like, we know what Cardin was up to, but I think she does a good job of laying out why Jude doesn't buy into that right away. I will say though, and I said this, I think in the spoiler section last week, it is frustrating how long it takes her. However, I do feel like on this read, I got a better sense of why she feels that way. And I don't know if you guys felt similarly, but this idea of shame, which we've talked a lot about in our first couple episodes in terms of her feelings of inadequacy at being human and the idea that they all just laughed at the notion that she could be high, high queen before or right after Carden exiles her. And I I guess I didn't appreciate how much of like a mental, Mind fuck that put her in, essentially.
0: That and the fact that we know how how little Jude likes to feel vulnerable in any way. And and when she and Carden get married, she thinks about how, you know, maybe now I can let myself love him. And she's like getting ready to like open herself up to that kind of depth of, of feeling for him. And then that happens immediately afterwards. And it's like it it confirms every horrible thing she's ever thought about herself and about Carden and about. The possibilities of, of that kind of relationship so it's yeah. really just confirming all of those those worst impulses of her so it, it to me it totally makes sense that she would jump to the worst possible conclusion i would too
2: Yeah. I love this passage. I hate being a fool. I hate the idea of my emotions getting the better of me and making me weak, but my fear of being a fool turned me into one. I should have guessed the answer to Carden's riddle long before I did. Even if I didn't understand it was a riddle, it was still a loophole to exploit, but I was so shamed by falling for his trick that I stopped looking for ways around it. And even after I discovered one, I made no plan to use it. Maybe it isn't the worst thing to... Want to be loved, even if you're not, even if it hurts. Maybe being human isn't always being weak. Maybe it was shame that was the problem. Those moments of reckoning from her in this book are are really something staggering to me. And I think they're a little more subtle than Carden's arc in this journey, but it it all is clicking in for me way more on reread. As we've said, I think all along, this book is way more surprising of a rewarding reread than I thought it was going to be. And it's for moments like that that I like. I'm kind of blown away by this book and how it wraps everything up.
1: I appreciate it a lot more on retrospect because as someone that thought they had like figured out the riddle and was waiting for uh, Jude to do it and was increasingly frustrated that she wasn't, there's a moment where Jude even thinks to herself, like, maybe I could have pardoned myself, but wait, no, I couldn't have because the guards like all laughed at me when I did claim that I was queen. So as the reader, I think on the first time, I felt a little bit jerked around because I was like, oh, I guess maybe she can't pardon herself in that moment. And then to find out later that, yeah, like I was right the whole time was a little bit frustrating, but on reread, I think you really understand the thought process behind that and how her like confidence and esteem and like sense of poor self-worth really really feeds into that and makes her just a little bit defeatist around that angle so I like you said I just really appreciate it on reread and it made it a lot less frustrating to know the answer and not feel a little bit jerked around which I did on my initial reading just because I was so anxious for her get to get back to fairy and figure it out yeah which is mm-hmm. a little unfair as me as a reader but it's it's a more rewarding journey um, that you definitely sort of figure out as you go along
2: And one of the things we talked about last week, too, is how Carden has always been a step ahead of Jude in terms of their relationship. And we get more of that here, too, where he reaffirms for her, I trust you. And he's just kind of flabbergasted still that she doesn't have that trust for him at the beginning of this book. When she comes back, he's like. we're playing this game. And she's like, what the hell are you talking about? And he's like, we need to talk because clearly we're not on the same page here. Uh, and so to see her finally, and I think it takes through a lot of this book too, to really complete her arc and her, her journey and realizing how does she rectify these two sides of herself? The side that was raised by Maddox, the side that was raised in fairy, and then also like her human mortal side and what that means. It's just, it, it was so delicious to me to read all of that this time around and how, I think taking Cardin off the table and her having to like kind of make those decisions on her own in the back third of the book uh, is just such a good, strong choice from from Holly. And it's just a great way for her to get there by herself and really have her as our POV character come into her own in such a powerful way. Oh, I just
0: I love the end of this book. It's so good. The Grimma Mog stuff is great too. In the beginning, like when she's in exile, she's not trying to assimilate into human life at all. She's still very much a part of fairy culture and in trying to get jobs within that realm. So she's not like she's definitely defeatist, but she's not in any way like trying to become this thing that she thinks she's supposed to be. She's still very much Jude, and Jude is still very much fairy.
2: Yeah. I love the moments that she has with oh my gosh I forget what the character's name is the guy who was the seneschal for the previous king who is immortal Val Valmorin he was he the seneschal or was he the poet he's a poet both okay. yes all the uh, but <laughs> she like basically yells at him and says you know you could have helped me you could have helped me in Taryn you were you know what it was to be a human in this world and he says something like about how he couldn't because he came to fairy fully grown, like as an adult, but they were brought there as children. And it, something about being like a seed planted in the ground in fairy, how, how you don't know how that's going to turn out. And that's really like the Jude Duarte story, right? Like how is this human planted in this magical world going to come out of it? And I love that imagery to them, how it ties into Jude's connection to the land and how she is the true king or sorry, true queen of fairy. And it establishes itself through her ability to heal herself with the land, and to save the roach through her connection to the land, and kind of blown away by like those little moments that we get here. And kind of to go back to like Cardin
0: being in in a place already where he's like, you know, I trust you, aren't you trust me, and it's it's so sad, sort of when when she goes back and she's pretending to be Taryn, and obviously Cardin picks up on it right away, and and you can tell that he kind of thinks like. Like oh this is a fun game that we're playing like like we're both in on this on this secret scheme like we're we're scheming together and then he realizes slowly that like she absolutely is not on the same page as him and then she gets taken it's just very fraught and I I just love that for both of them like Cardin that 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 slow realization that she's not there and, and realizing like oh we fucked up yeah
2: there's two really good Cardin and Jude scenes in this moment where they both have to kind of play games in front of the whole court, that being the first one. And then the second one where she falls from the rafters and everyone thinks she came to assassinate Cardin. And I just, I love those moments because how they react in front of everyone and how they like try to play off of each other in public is, is really just, it's, it's just a delight to read. And then we get obviously the great moment from Cardin after that assassination scene where he reveals yeah. that she's the queen it's like ah, oh, so good but uh yeah I, I just I love those those scenes are so fun to read yeah and I mean in the first one too I love that like he's he's
0: having to put on this show like he's believing that she's Taryn and and it plays into that whole you know fairies can't lie thing when when she's like oh I loved Locke and he says sometimes I believe you did yes because he knows he's talking to Jude and so that is like an absolute truth from him, like that he did sometimes think that she loved Locke. And I just love that. It's kind of a moment where he's showing this bit of honest vulnerability here, um, but it's under the guise of him talking to Taryn instead. So he's revealing a truth without revealing one. And it's just something that like, it's only apparent to Jude later on when she realizes he knew
2: I just like spaced out dissociating, like staring at my wall thinking like how overwhelmed I am My little moments like that. You're so right where you see him like just trying to parse through his feelings for her because they still don't have all their cards on their table for each other at that point. And it's just
0: and I mean, I we get a really early like confirmation that Jude loves Carden you know, for Cardin, when she says Jude never loved Locke, she loved someone else. He's the one he, she'd want dead. And it's a death threat, but it's also an admission,
2: right? Yeah. Damn. But then too, because she's played her card so to, close to the chest for so long, she hasn't been upfront with Cardin, and he knows that she can still lie. So they're mm-hmm. just not there yet. And then it just makes all the moments in the last half of the book, just fairly rewarding when they come on the back of moments of misdirection like that.
1: Karen has a quote that's like, I don't understand. You hated him. And then I found out he was under your control. And so I thought maybe you still hated him. And then I thought maybe you still hate him now, but he hates you too. But I'm just really confused. And it's like Taryn that- <laughs> summarizing the entire thing.
0: I love that moment so much. Cause it's like
2: Taryn is the avatar for like every reader here. Yeah. like She's saying what we're all thinking. It's just, yeah, that is like this, the thesis statement of the entire series mm-hmm. when it comes to their relationship and I, yeah, it's just the continuation of building on everything we got from them in the first two books is 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 so good. And I think too, like, what makes it all, and we'll talk more specifically about Carton and Jude moments in a, in a minute, but like how it feeds into like Jude's last act in the book and her choice that, no, this is this is a person I love, and i'm I'm not going to. Rule over him. I think she says something about being like the queen of monsters or something. She's thinking about how everything has led up to this point, and she thinks like up until the last second she wasn't sure if she was going to put that. The I keep wanting to say girdle. It's not like
1: girdle. I, I, I want to so say girdle bridle. too. Bridal. <laughs> Bridal. She's like...
0: Why did my brain also go straight to girdle? Oh
2: no, I don't Dirty. know. <laughs> But she thinks she's going to put the bridle on Carden while he's the snake at the end. you know, she's, she knows that she has two options there, but she thinks I've been Maddox's protege and Dane's creature. I don't know how to win any other way, but there's, it's no recipe for being a hero, but it is a recipe for success. I know how to win the day, provided I'm willing to sacrifice everything good in me. I said that if I couldn't be better than my enemies, then I will become so much worse, much, much worse. And then she goes, Um, let me be feared and never afraid again. Let me have everything I ever wanted, everything I ever dreamed in eternal misery along with it. Let me live on with an ice shard through my heart. And like, that's really where she could have gone. Right. And I think that's what makes this book so juicy and this whole series. So juicy is like, this idea of power. It's not just power sake, it's protection. It's all these other things. It's, it's how you get worth in this world. And she's right there on the precipice of g- gaining it all. But the fact that she decides to be vulnerable and like break that ice shard in her heart and like take a chance on her and and refusing to let him stay. Like bound to her in that way forever is just, it's such a good conclusion of her her story and building on everything we get of her and Carden up to this point. Such a big part of that too, is her
0: knowledge of of Carden's trust in her, which he has been like putting on her for so long. Like, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. And then him, you know, she keeps thinking about that moment where he says like, you know, talking about the prophecy, you know, if I become a monster, I know that you won't let me like, you'll stop me. And yeah. she realizes like, this is that moment where she's going to, Validate Carden's trust in her basically by making sure that he doesn't have to live like this because she knows that he trusts her to do that. And oh, uh, it's such it's such a heartbreaking moment. Even like re- on reread, knowing that he's not actually dead when she chops off the snake's head, I'm like, it's so upsetting.
2: It's really upsetting <laughs> that she like loved him enough that she would like be willing to let him go. Like the moments what are that are really sad to me on re- this reread too are like she thinks about like the snake being in the room with her. And at least she'd have him in some way, like mm-hmm. even if it could be him there with her and that like, she chooses that like, that's not what he wants and that's not what she wants. And <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: Can
2: we jumped like right to the end, like right to the big snake finale. I know. Well, I mean, it's such, it's so integral for her arc in this mm-hmm. book and it's such a great conclusion to it and a great conclusion Ah. the snake stuff is really good too
0: because it's some you get to see jude very specifically emulating Cardin, and Mm -hmm. when she was in the undersea and Cardin was emulating her on purpose i just love that as like a really nice parallel and um just really how like they see each other for their strengths and their weaknesses and they balance each other so well because they're just so perfectly matched and
1: Jude having to do that also sort of parallels her relate her her power struggle with like Matic like Matic also had to like also killed the woman that he like loved yeah. <laughs> and so the fact that Jude has to do the same thing but she does it for very different reasons like not to not to control but for the opposite of that whereas Matic was killing to control and that's why he was searching for her so it parallels that story and it keeps that art going in an individual level, like even separate from her relationship with Cardin, but it's still like, she's transcending it. She's becoming better than, than Maddox, but by doing like a similar thing, it's like fascinating.
2: That's such a good point, Jesse. not just in terms of Maddox and her mother, but like Maddox and all of his family, right? Like his way of use, his love is always conditional. And it, I actually wouldn't say that it's conditional. He does love them. I think unconditionally, but it's not something that trumps over his desire for power and his quest Mm -hmm. for power. And that's the precipice that Jude stands on at the end. (laughs) Like he is, he's willing to, and he kind of regrets it, um, do whatever it takes to get that power. And And, you know, he says when he thinks Jude's dead, he's like, it was not without regret. And he means that, uh, but he's ultimately willing to do whatever it takes. And for Jude to, to do the opposite then is. Yeah, that is a really good good point
0: too, because earlier in the book, when he thinks she's Taryn and he's talking to her and he says, it's not as though I'm not proud. What she achieved is no small thing. She's perhaps the most like me of all my children. And then you see at the end where, you know, she is, but like Jesse said, for different reasons and in different ways, it's just, it's good stuff. Um, And then also like the culmination of their arc with, with being like, I will bend my head to you and only you, like he's finally willing to concede this defeat, but Only to Jude, who is somebody that he sees as like a worthy opponent slash daughter. Yeah.
2: I really love Jude's, the way she chooses to punish him in the end too, is banishment to the mortal world because for, for a couple of reasons. One, the idea of Maddox being in the mortal world and how they kind of talk about that in the epilogue about like, dad's going to hate it. Like he's going to uh, send like a conquesting army into the neighboring neighborhood. He's going to plan your invasion of a neighboring apartment building. Yeah. But then just like what she says and what she thinks about at the end. But I wonder if what I owe my parents is a more flexible view of love and duty, one that they themselves might've embraced. And then she says a somatic, I told you once that I am what you made me, but I am not only that you raised me to be uncompromising yet. I learned mercy and I will give you something like mercy. If you can show me that you deserve it. And just like, I'm proud of her in that moment. And I just, I would, I've said this before. I would read endless thick of like Cardin in the mortal world, but I also would love like a little bump of the Matic because I think that is a good punishment for him but it also recognizes the importance of who he is to Jude, and she's not. Despite she's killed the fact that she's killed a ton of people in this book, she's not some bloodthirsty killer. That's not who she is. She's not a red cap. Um, and so, I, I just really like that for her
1: on multiple levels at that end. I also want to like kind of mention too that it's not like her birth parents were these paragons of virtue and like empathy. Like her mother clearly enjoyed living in fairy and possibly murdered someone in order to hide that she left like we really get no resolution on that point (laughs) like whether or not they found a body or if they killed someone and so and really no
0: even confirmation of the fact that they loved each other really like you don't know why they escaped together like there's no I don't know it's, it's not like some faded love story at all
1: yeah there and there's a few moments I think maybe even in in Wicked King where Jude reflects on her mother and how little she knows about her and the fact that maybe she had other uh, sort of thoughts, like background, like a lot of that Jude just doesn't know. Um, And so it's sort of hanging over Like I want to, I think it's our inclination to believe that her mother was maybe the opposite of Maddox, but there's really nothing in the text that backs that up. In fact, it sounds like she got along really well in fairy. So Jude and Taryn have that legacy and baby really too.
0: Speaking to that, I I love that when, Uh, Jude is still in the mortal world and she's trying to like help raise Oak and she thinks how am I supposed to figure out how to give him the right stuff when all I know is my own messed up childhood maybe the parts of it I value are the wrong parts like she does she has this like you said legacy of just kind of a fucked up history and 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 fucked up parents just foster parents and real parents like the whole thing is just
2: really complicated I think the fact of Karen in this book and why I think maybe I have a little bit more, um, I guess, understanding or like, again, not necessarily sympathy for her, but like, I feel like a little more locked into her when she comes in and says something to the effect of, I think she says she understands why her mother left because she's now pregnant too. And like how it kind of flips a switch in you and that you kind of will do, whatever it takes in that moment. And like, that is why she, ki- she, she kills Locke in the conversation apparently where she reveals, reveals that, she's that she's pregnant <laughs> and it's clear at that point that she's not going to change her ways and she acts accordingly. So like when it comes to their mom, it's like, we will never know those answers. But I, I think what we're kind of meant to take from that is that like she was pregnant with Vivi and she knew that this was not going to be, a good situation and so she got out and whether or not it's because she loved Jude and Taryn's dad I don't know but I think it makes me kind of understand Taryn a little more and like if Jude is Maddox's daughter maybe Taryn is like their mother's daughter who's very like ingratiated with the fairy wants to bow to their customs but is is ultimately driven by this desire to protect her child who she says uh she wants to keep I think I I love this book too for how it kind of like is sometimes like subtly progressive too. Like it's really, um, I think interesting and good to read in a YA fantasy book, like the terms abortion. And we're talking yeah, about that, like very that's open conversation. you can have, abortion. um, or you can adopt it. We won't judge you. And she's like, I know, but I want to, I I'm excited about this. And so it just kind of made me understand Taryn a little bit better and it doesn't forgive anything she does. And maybe she isn't as she, she hasn't earned necessarily forgiveness, but she, she has something to fight for. And in this complicated murky fairy world, that's compelling, I guess.
0: I just want to talk about how,
2: like, I mean, first of all, this whole book, I'm waiting for
0: this other betrayal from Taryn, even though I've already read this and I know that there isn't one. I was still just like primed for one, but somehow, still by the end, I was rooting for Taryn and I was like into her and the ghost. Like, and we talked about this in the last couple of episodes about how like, oh, I don't I don't see how I could possibly get to the place again where I'm like on Taryn's side or I'm I want good things for her. But you know, here I am. So Holly Black, she's working some weird magic in here.
1: There's a line that really got me. I think when Jude's sort of contemplating the difference between them, she says, Well, I walked the path of daggers and poison. She walked the no less fraught path of desire. And it's her recognition that Taryn might have been trying, you know, partying with them and trying to assimilate. But in a lot of ways, she was having to use her body in ways to do it and and in a different way than Jude was. And I think a lot of us, like me particular, I love the I love Jude. I love how she handles stuff, just guns swords, knives blazing. Mm -hmm. But for me, I I would have probably taken Taryn's approach and I can judge Taryn all I want. And I don't think I would ever play those games that she plays with Locke. At least I hope I wouldn't. But she grew up there just as Jude did. And she had to survive just like Jude did. And she chose a different path. And and I don't know necessarily if it was the easier one and because it's not told from Taryn's point of view and Taryn doesn't really share that, at least in the pages that we get to read from Jude's point of view, we just really don't know. But it seems just as fraught and maybe some in some ways a lot more upsetting.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the fact that we're able to like, with both Taryn and the ghost, kind of get to a place to be like, you're good guys, <laughs> like, I'm yeah. fine with you. I mean, I think Taryn coming in with Vivi getting that letter from Jude and them both kind of being like, this isn't right. Like we need to do something about this. It's, it's a really nice moment for both of them there and the ghost, like doing everything that he can to bend out of the control of Maddox is also really compelling. So yeah, she, she makes it work for, for both of them for me. And just Taryn knowing uh the
0: ghost's real name and and him coming to her um slash Jude for, for help and protection. Um, I really like that there's like this other connection between Taryn and the ghost. It's not like they just met and there's like this instant attraction or something. Like he had been going to Locke's estate for for years and had some relationship with Taryn, like or like they they knew each other on just a different on a separate level from Jude. It had nothing to do with Jude. Um, I also yeah. like to contemplate how they might use the ghost's real name in other contexts. Tasia. I know my, my brain just goes <laughs> in that place in that place. I'm sorry, but well, well we did just
2: sure. watch windows sh- or read window shopping. So yeah. we're all very into things right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> here's my question though. This might be dumb. Okay. So like the whole thing with like using someone's real name. How is like not everyone susceptible to control in this world? Like how is like not susceptible to control? I'm very
0: confused. I think about this all the time because I'm like, how, how are they, first of all, how are they getting their real names? So is it something like when you're born and your parents name, name you, because then wouldn't their parents have their real names and then all children would forever be susceptible to their parents control unless they killed their parents oh my god think, or do they name themselves like how how does this work i don't understand this don't get magic at all
1: the fairy all. world is so hierarchical i wonder if it's sort of like a, a cast thing i don't yeah, know yeah i wonder if it's something to
2: do to do with the fact that they're like not necessarily servants but they're definitely underlings but i i, I yeah i don't I don't know if it's something I just like totally missed, or if it's what just if it's something
1: up. you give up that has like magic behind it. So like, if I were to like work with you all, I would say I bind myself as Jesse to uh, the Acty Age podcast, and then it becomes like a magical contract where like everybody for you heard it here, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like every like, but there's like ma- magic in this world, so maybe you have to like bind yourself, and then if you use your name as co- as um consideration in the contract. Then, um, then your name will become given as part of that. Okay. I like this explanation. It makes sense. Listen, I was a tutor in contracts, (laughs) (laughs) but it's still like anybody
0: that knows their name could use it. So if it was like a binding for what, I don't know, the whole thing is just very, I'm willing to like hand wave it because it's magic and whatever. um, But it is something that I always think about when I read this. I'm like, where are they getting these names?
1: I want to write an essay about this so bad. Like in my old <laughs> days of like fandom, when I used to like live journal, my essays about like, why Ginny Weasley is the best. Like I have-
2: <laughs> I would read <laughs> it. Please let us know. We'll release a bonus episode. That's Jesse just reading her treatise on magical contracts and finding in the, <laughs> in the world of fairy. <laughs> Listen. Can't wait. I will do it. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Um, while we're talking about... Uh, I guess, Taryn, I I think we should also just talk briefly about one of my like low-key faves of this book uh, is Heather. I really like all the Heather and Vivi stuff we get in this book after how hard it was to read some of that stuff in the second book. And I just particularly loved Heather's kind of cunning and coming up with this bargain with Vivi where she's like, you need to like earn me back. And then you can only, if you do win me back, will you give me back my memories? And I also just really love uh, that says this at one point after Cardin's turn in the snake. She says that if this were a movie, someone would find a poem about cursed snakes and it would give us a clue we needed. So she's gone off to find one. The archivists don't know what to do with her. And I just like really love another mortal coming into this world and just throwing herself in. And it gives me hope for her and Vivi. Even though I still don't know if he quite deserves her after what she did to her in the last book, and I I just I liked how that all came out. She's a good friend to to Jude in this book, and I appreciated that. I also really like how
0: you see Cardin try to ingratiate himself to to like Heather and. And Vivian and all of that like he's just really sweet to her sisters and her friends and stuff and and I think that they tell her later that's like oh you know he's doing that to impress
2: you right it's just very sweet (laughs) and Jude still I mean god love her but she's like I don't know it's like no Jude yes he is like listen to Taryn she's right for once um
1: (laughs) part of Jude's continued arc through the book is to like be okay with her humanity and her mortality and I think that extra like that is a larger theme of the books is that just because these fairies have magic and say that they're better than mortals doesn't necessarily mean that's the case. And yet Jude needs to like keep figuring that out in within herself and her own self-worth. But you see a lot of examples of characters reminding Jude. And then you have that whole conversation about like fairies can't really pro- like have children. So they really rely on humans for that. And there's tons of things that humans can do apart from lying that fairies can't do. And, that, and I think Heather's a really good example of someone else in the book who wasn't brought up In fairy, like dude, who literally was just dropped down in it, who like yeah is really freaked out at the beginning, but then slowly comes around to it and is able to like value add and fit in in this world just as sort of seamlessly as she does in the human world. So it's just another example of like yeah, like humans aren't that bad. They have tons to to offer into this world, and you just have to be like really open minded, and you can really manipulate the fairies because exploit them because they just don't view humans as worthwhile.
2: And I think a subtle moment in the epilogue, which I just love the epilogue for a lot of reasons, just the idea of Cardin eating pizza thrills me, but like, I think a subtle thing that plays into what you said, Jesse, about, you know, Jude's journey and accepting her humanity is like how she's kind of bracing herself for Cardin to be Cardin about the mortal world. And I think she's nervous. I think she wants him to like it. And cause that is her home. And she, you know, we, we see her like literally setting her stuffed animals on fire in the last book and to being nervous about what her husband thinks about, like where she came from. I just think it's a really nice way to put a, a, a bow on that, that point for her that she's going to kind of embrace that side of her more. I love the idea of them sneaking out to the mortal realm for date nights, etc. Although I guess one of the things I do want to talk with you guys too, is the idea of Jude's mortality and how that works. Cause it's another question I have. And I think about too often. So like they say, like, if you stay in fairy, it kind of is like a freeze on your growing, aging. but then like, how did she grow up <laughs> in fairy one? I mean, you just have to
0: assume that it's like a, once you hit adulthood thing, then you stop aging. And then like the second you step foot back in the mortal world. So I think at, well, at some point she's just going to have to stop going to the mortal world, but it also brings up questions about Heather and Vivi because they live in the, in the mortal
2: world. And I mean, do, do fairies age in the mortal world? Yeah. It's a good question. Although it seems to me that Vivi would be willing to just like live a normal life and then a mortal life and then die. Like if that's Mm -hmm. what happens to her in the mortal world. I have to admit that the one I really do think I would love reading a lot of Jordan fanfic, except the one time I ever read Jordan fanfic, it made me so sad because it was like them having kids and the kids asking Carden about like whether their mom was going to die because she was mortal. And I was like, I can't handle this concept. And now I'm like very nervous. He was of course, very sweet about them, but it just left me with a sense of melancholy that they like might not be together forever and ever and ever. And I had to stop. So I haven't gone back down. that. Bad. And it's,
0: it's also kind of a bummer because even if, you know, she, she can just stay in fairy forever and and live to have the same lifespan as Cardin, That means that at some point she can never go back to the mortal world. And I know she, she obviously chooses fairy, but she does like to go to the mortal world and they, but they, and they can never do that together again. Carden will have to go on his own to get her like snacks and shit. Yeah. Oh man. Her mortal underwear. Although now I'm just thinking about like a little, a little fic of, of Carden going to the mortal world and going to like Victoria's secret to go. Yeah. Yeah. To go, (laughs) to go shopping for, for lingerie for Jude because she can't go there anymore.
1: I do love when she's having the conversation with Lady Asha and she's like, Carden's going to get bored with you eventually. And he's just going to leave you. And she's because you're going to be boring. And she's like, well, I'm just never going to be boring. She's
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know about you. I'm different.
2: It's kind of like when he says to her after she falls from the rafters, it was terrifying watching you fall. I mean, you're generally terrifying, but I'm unused to fearing for you. And it's just like, that's what he, he Judy will always keep him. On his toes, and he, as we've talked a lot about, he is very into the murder vibe that she's throwing mm-hmm. down. So he likes; he's turned on whenever he's scared of her. So, like, yeah. when this, she this relationship's him. gonna
0: last forever? Oh my god! Yeah, she slaps he's him, like, and he's like turned on by. He like grabs her hand.
2: She mm-hmm. thinks like I can't get his face out of my mind. Like when he reached for my hand, it's really good. And what I like too, though, is like yeah, there's she has that side of her, but like he brings out the best in her like when he's the snake she thinks about how Carden isn't there to like temper her murdering uh impulses and it really just goes to show how together they'll be a good balance for each other and you know he did learn a lot of, at her hand and he she gave him a lot of the tools to be a good king but like they really need each other to balance and it's just it's really good And I, so I guess we should talk we talked a little bit about Carden but like his arc, or I guess more conclusion of his arc in this book, which we've seen a lot of him building on it, is just also really good. Two nice arcs here, I think, for both of them. It's getting more upsetting details about
0: Carden's backstory and the way that Dane set him up uh, and killed the uh, Val Moran's lover. And it's just, and that's what got his mom locked up into the tower of forgetting the whole thing. I mean, Carden should be just so much worse than he is, honestly. Yeah. He's doing a good job.
2: The Everything with his backstory is so bad. Like his, his we get more about his mother and how, what a real piece of work Lady Ash is. I hope she rots and where'd she go the court of teeth? Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Can't, can't wait to not have you around anymore. Um. Yeah. It's just, it's so, it's so horrible, but like this from Cardin. like literally I was reading and I paused and I had to like hold the book to my chest when he forced me into working for the Court of Shadows, I never thought of the things that I could do—frightening people, charming people—as talents, no less ones that might be valuable. But you did. You showed me how to use them to be useful. I never minded being a minor villain, but it's possible I might have grown into something else. A high king is monstrous disdain, as and if I did, if I fulfilled that prophecy, I ought to be stopped, and I believe that you would stop me. It's Just like that recognition of like what he could have been, and how like Jude has like just taught him to stay his hand and showed him how his weaknesses are really strengths. I just I, I get emotional about it and I have to one of you needs to talk now.
1: <laughs> I was like Jude
0: notes being rejected by his family how could becoming High King not feel like finally belonging, like finally being embraced? And and I love that he gets before the whole snake shit happens, he gets that moment where they choose him and he proves himself to be like somebody who can be a really great ruler who can, uh, you know, put his people first and put their choices first and, and what's best for them and let them pick out what that is. And then, in like this big symbolic moment, he breaks the crown and then gets this curse. But I mean, right before that he got, that was like, I mean, everything that he ever wanted. Right.
1: You have this, this, Fairy man, <laughs> like literally starved for love. And the mm-hmm. fact that he, I think there's, he was willing to break the blood crown and trust in loyalty in his subjects instead of compel it. He's the true mm-hmm. high king of fairy. So I think that's what really like cements his arc for me. And that, like, really, like, literally, like an arc, like I can see like every step along the way and the culmination of that to trust in the loyalty of the people that he wants to love him, you know. Maddox keeps saying that he can manipulate Cardin because he knows that Cardin is so starved for love. But what he doesn't understand is that Cardin is able to, to transcend that that desire to recognize that it's not true love if it's compelled or manipulated. It has to come like naturally and earned, and it's just like the culmination of so many amazing things from someone who literally has two books calling him cruel and wicked. Yeah. It's such a good I love how
2: they both get a moment too of like they're given like well Harden never really wanted to be to be king, um, but like he he's in a moment of 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 power and empowerment, and they both have that moment where they're both like, No, you know, I am the high king and I do not forfeit that title to you, not for a sword or a show or my pride. It is worth more than any of those things. It's just like it's really staggering to read, and how I, I love how. There's this prophecy about him too and how that plays into all of it and his laughter being like, I never thought about it literally, but like how he also like allowed himself permission to be that horrible because he thought that, that this prophecy meant that he was just going to be like a terrible person and like how it was self-fulfilling in that way. And then how he just transcends it is just like, it's chef's kiss. It's so good.
1: The way that Jude really has to reconcile what is true power, like is being queen of Elfin like true power? Because ultimately, like she says, what is, is this what it is to rule to be far from the action stuck on the throne or in a series of well-appointed rooms, reliant on information brought to you by others. Madoc would hate this. And I think Jude, you know, has always like on the ground running around with the the spies and she's interested in power. But when you actually get it you know, you're told that being king and queen is the most powerful position there is, but it's not really because you have to rely on so many other people. And I think for Cardin, like he never wanted to be king because he didn't want that power. But for him, he's really able to embrace like, okay, like I'm able to be a good king because I'm able to use my skills in a way that benefits my people and have them love me in a way that I've always wanted to be loved and reciprocate that love. So I think Jude is really still working on a lot of like what power means to her and how much she's willing what she really wants in that but karn is able to sit more comfortably on that throne being like this is my birthright this is what i was born to do And not only that this is what i was but i was able to do it because i earned it much
2: for, for
1: me to handle and like it's just
2: how they're going to continue balancing each other out you know i like that there is a moment from recognition of recognition from jude in the epilogue where she's like it's not going to be easy. Like we will have moments because they are like, so different in a lot of ways, but how that's going to balance each other, I think ultimately is going to be exactly what alpha needs. And it's, we get little moments of that, you know, so long. I mean, this is just a great moment from Cardin, um, where, uh, they have a banquet after Jude comes back and she's no longer in exile. And he says, you know, I'm glad to have you march under my banner. Glad of your loyalty, grateful for your honor to you. I offer honey wine and the hospitality of my table, but the traders and oath I offer my queen's hospitality, instead the hospitality of knives. And it's like such a good moment on like, uh, just like how, again, how he's into her murder side, but it's just a good offer of like the balance they're going to have. He is going to be the more hospitable one. That's his nature to like be the courtly Prince and she's gonna be the the muscle and I love that for them, love it. Should we talk? Did we talk about everything we wanted to talk about in the book?
0: No, I want to talk about the sex scene.
2: Oh, okay. I didn't know if we were saving. It <laughs> I, I, was say. I didn't know if we were saving it for soon, but now I think it's really important.
0: It's yeah. not a quote, yeah. So, um, I mean, I do have quotes, but <laughs> not from this. Um, <laughs> so, I I just really love the sex scene so much because, and we talked about this a little bit off air, but um. Jude is so inexperienced, and so she feels so vulnerable in this moment. And we know how Jude feels about vulnerability and, and that kind of intimacy. And she knows how she feels like betrayed into pleasure because Cardin, you know, he knows what he's doing, and she doesn't like this power imbalance. So in order to regain power and control in this situation, she goes, and she gets herself naked, and then she comes back because now the power balance has turned, and Cardin is the one that feels really overwhelmed. And I love this so much because like, she literally goes to her knees in front of him and offers him anything he wants. Like she'll, I'll do anything, anything you want to do. And he's just like completely blown away. And um, I love that because it, it looks on the surface, like a very, like, like it indicates her submission to him, but that's not at all the case. What it is is like, instead it indicates her power over him. Um, That looks like submission, but it isn't. It's just, I really, really love that moment. I love Jude taking control of the situation because she's, you know, feeling like she doesn't know what she's doing. It's just, it's just really good. And it's very just them all over.
2: And after that moment, too, where she's on her knees and she's like, I said, I'd do whatever you want. He's like, No, Jude, what you want. (laughs) And I'm like, Mm -hmm. It's so, it's such a powerful moment. Like, I love her like shell shocking him coming out of the closet naked. He's just like totally blown away by her, and God, it's just her basically like big. topping from the bottom. I love that for her. Yeah, no, it's so, it's so good. Also, I just like love the imagery of them like doing all this on the floor, even though the bed's right there, and they like stay there mm-hmm. all night. It's just like I don't know. It's just like a, it's a really good scene. It's such a good continuation of their power dynamics like a lesser writer could have just written like a hot scene but this yeah. continues to trade their power dynamics
1: and like, it's what exactly means. in
0: character like not mm-hmm. many people will write a sex scene where like their characters are still so evident and that's i mean they do nothing that isn't within their character
1: there's a lot of talk about, and I'm sure you guys, you've spoken about this before on your podcast because of the title of it, but there's a lot of discussion about how much sex should be in YA books. And when does it become like, and, you know, a new adult book? Um, like I think *Acatar* would, you know, rise to that level of new adult, but I think this is a really good example of like an upper way, um, way to include sex in a really honest and um, an honest way that isn't salacious. It's not you know it's it's you're in their minds it's about feelings you know you, you have an a, an understanding of like what physical things are happening it's not totally vague but it's done in a really like you said in character sensitive way and there's discussion about consent there's talk about what do you want you know female pleasure um, you you've really sensed the trust in there and i think it's a beautiful way of including of you know like we know that fairies are very forward about sex so it'd be sort of weird for them to be married yeah and it you know and i think there's fade to black which would have been totally valid in the situation but instead holly chose to write this like very beautiful scene that i think relays a very nice message to ya readers um, who may have read other na books or you know been you know when when you turn on television you know like anything that you're watching it's a it's a nice representation i think of a good like upper YA. Uh, of including a good upper YA sex scene, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's-,
0: it's like sex with a purpose. Because well, she it says, fulfills, like, the cu- yeah. yeah,
1: the cuddling at the end was even more intimate. It's more intimate mm-hmm. for June to be honest with him and and tell him how she feels with him than the actual act itself. And I think yeah. that that is really well done.
0: It's an important character moment and happens to be in the context of sex. So I, I love, I I always love uh, a sex scene with a purpose, with like a greater narrative you know, a fulfillment of an arc or whatever.
2: And I was literally flipping to read the bit about uh, what you just said, Jesse, like the cuddling at the end is more intimate in a lot of ways too. I think it's really important to like show how they are going to continue to like build trust with each other. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I wanted to mention Matic a little bit more just the like On this read, I was really, I think like Teja, you mentioned before that you were really struck by the relationship between Jude and Maddox in this book, as opposed to like the first read where Maddox is just like a villain, like a horrible person and the subtleties and the dynamics between them, I think really come out on reread. Um, and, And I like found myself sort of, there's a quote he says, I hone my instincts in battle. Sometimes those instincts are still there when there is no war. And that's something that is obviously like, to a T, like something really sad about Matic. Um, But then is also something that I'm sure many people like veterans and I don't know, people that grew up around war. And I don't know, it's, it was like a very haunting quote that I'll remember for a while. I have this, I like, it's weird how I feel by the end of this book. Like,
2: how I imagine like Jude feels a lot about and that's just like very complicated feelings because like he's such a good character and he's so fascinating but then he is so horrible like he nearly kills Jude like and he's shocked by it in the more in the moment but like it's horrifying and in the lead up to that he says you were always good just never good enough like Fuck you, Jude. Like, ah, you are just like everything that is is wrong with Jude. Like you created so much of her issue that she has she thinks earlier to herself when she's fighting grim and mog how it feels good to fight someone who's not herself and it's like all of these feelings of like self-doubt that she has like really come from from Maddock and every way that he set her life on this course and things like that like you were always good you were just never good enough it's just like it's so fucked up and he's such a conundrum but it's that's such a good character right and it's so of all the villains that we've had in the show like that we've talked about it's I'm hard pressed to think of one that's like a better one than He says
1: You would have made a good red cap and it's like is that a compliment like yeah <laughs> it's mind, a- like a little bit but also not really. Well Jude notes a lot that like a
0: lot of their interactions are very backhanded compliment like it's it's giving her like some sort of concession while also being like but still you're not good enough. I just think that whole scene where they they fight is it's so fraught and it's so beautiful because I mean you see him get like that that red cap bloodlust up. And then, you know, you know that he never intended, like he says from the beginning, like, I'm going to catch you. That's his intention. His intention, his intention is not to kill her. And then you see him like get so caught up in it that he does it, that he gives us, gives her this like fatal blow and that shock in his face and the shock in her too, because she never believed that he would ever take it that far. But it's like that great parallel between, you know, what he does to Jude and what he did to Jude's mother, but also, at the end of that scene where her sisters come out of the woods and fire arrows at him. And it's just this, this like family standoff. And I don't know the whole, the whole scene is really beautiful and and really fraught. And yeah, I think
2: I messaged you guys. I was like, I've never cried during this scene before and here I am. It's a lot, the whole lead up to that too. Like we get moments before that where Jude is thinking about how when she like first came to fairy and she would like sit in Maddox's lap he uh, vivi would slap her for it and then like to see vivi at the end then be like be there and like trying to throw things back in his face and and him not really like bristling at her but bristling what he's done to jude and like also while jude's in the camp like she. Th- she lets herself have one last night for one final night. He's the father. I remember best the one in whose shadow I have for better or worse become what I am. Like, it's just, there's so much tension and buildup leading to that. And also the fact that she's able to pull one over on him in thinking that she's tearing for so long. And then he like realizes that because she looks at the maps too long, which I just like love It shows how much she knows her. Yeah. It just is it's a really good exercise in building tension and it's brought for like, many different reasons, emotional reasons, plot reasons. Like, it's just.
0: I <laughs> <And> also <laughs> in that scene when they're around the fire and, you know, she's having, you know, trying to have that last father daughter type moment with Maddox and he thinks that she's Taryn and he's talking about how, you know, like, Oh, I know you killed Locke. And, and he tells her, like, if you feel guilty about this, like put that on me, I'm the one who raised you in in this you know, I raised you in blood, basically in blood and battle. Um, You know, if that, if that's too heavy for you, put it, put that weight on me. And it's like a, a really good dad moment where he's acknowledging yes. the trauma that he's inflicted on his daughters and, and encouraging them to give him the weight of that trauma and let him carry it. But it's, you know, and then later on, he's killing Jude basically. It's just, yeah, just fraught.
1: So we know that Holly is gonna be writing more stories in the world of Faye. And it sort of makes me think like Maddox seems like way too powerful and smart of a of a character to stay in exile for seemingly forever for his whole mortal life. Like like, do I want more about Matic, like coming back? Like, what do I want out of fairy, like still? Do I want Taryn and Locke, or Taryn and the ghost story? Do I want more of, like, what do I want? Do I want Novella set in this universe? Do I want another story? Do I want Matic involved? And I just don't see Matic as a character that's gonna take his exile, like lying down. And it just sort of makes me even more curious as to what Holly has planned for the world of fairy and what I want from it. Cause I don't know necessarily if I want a whole book about Jude and Carden like their marital battles
0: I don't know that I want Matic to have more I don't know I don't know if I want Matic focused stuff I don't know what I would want actually yeah right? I, think I really just don't know what I want from this world anymore
2: as it is I, I want t- more but what <laughs> right why yeah that's a I think I still want Taryn and the ghost if I want anything I I just I think that There's interesting stuff to be had there, but also, I don't know if this is just like as I like get older. Like when I was younger, you know, if you had told me I could have like every single thing in, I have issues with Harry Potter now, but like if if at the time when I was little, you said you would get all of these things that are Harry Potter spinoffs, et cetera, et cetera. I'd be like, yeah, like that's yeah. all I want. That's great. And I don't like all of the things that have really spun off from it since. So like, I don't know if it's just like, that's come with my maturity or actually like getting it from one world and not really being happy with it. I'm more content just to like let things lie across the mm-hmm. board. Um, I think maybe how I feel with this series too, because I can't imagine like reading this anything else from this world, and not just being like desperate for Jude and Cardin content that like I'd even yeah. really be able to enjoy it, which is one of the things we talked about off air amongst ourselves was Jesse, was it like your sister who read it was like there's not even a ton of like Jude and Cardin together like yeah. in this in this book. And we talked about how like the first time you read the series, you're so desperate for them to be together, you are. And what I think for me, I don't want to speak for everyone, has made this reading reread so valuable is like seeing. Why that's so important in all of the character moments that make them what is together with them like so good? So like how she can replicate that without those characters? Like I'm I'm I don't know. I'm skeptical.
1: That's a good point to bring up Harry Potter too because I do want like the the whole you when you create an entire magical world. Like I really hate the like uh, the Newt Scamander spinoff stories. But what was nice about them in the Harry Potter universe was that they seemed like a self-contained other story in this giant magical world. And then she looped it back to the Harry Potter story, which was really frustrating. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I understand the inclination of authors who write beloved works to always loop back to that and reference it. But I think it takes maybe an elevated writer to recognize I've created this fantastic fairy world that lives parallel to the mortal world in a really cool, like a real, in a really cool magic system. What more can I do about it? We have the king and queen of Alpha. I'm like, why not tell another story in fairy and sort of like make reference to the king? You know, like there's so many other stories that can be told in the universe. And I kind of hope, and I think Hallie's smart enough to do that. um, And just have like little Easter eggs sprinkled. Like, um, in Once Upon a Broken Heart, which is in the Caraval universe, there's a lot of fun references to Caravals and the, the, the story that we knew. But you're but she's able to, but Stephanie Garber's able to subvert our expectations on that and make sort of third party observer comments about the characters that we knew and love in the other books. And I think that would be a really cool way to stay in the world of fairy and have like fun little Easter eggs, but not have it become sort of repetitive and potentially like ruin a lot of what yeah. we really like about these books.
2: I will say though, we know from following them on socials and whatnot, and they reference each other in their acknowledgements is that Holly Black is very good friends with Lee Bardugo In Lee's world, I think we can talk a little bit more now that we're like six months after Rule of Wolves. The, well, I don't know what the statute of limitations is on spoilers, but we're like mm-hmm. past that. But like Lee actually was very adept at weaving her stories within the Grishaverse verse together. So you know, if Holly, uh, and I know that she works a lot with Lee and talks with Lee, and I think they might be like kind of critique partners for each other and are, inter they communicate with each other in in developing their stories. So I guess I'll, obviously Holly wrote this fantastic world that we love, but like, if she's maybe, if, if Lee could do it in a way that isn't, doesn't feel ham-fisted or heavy-handed, like the Newt's Commander stories example we gave, like, I'll reserve my judgment, I guess, because I think it could be really, really good. We have an example of one where it's good. Yeah, it'd be easier
0: too, I think, if um, if this world of fairy wasn't so contained. Like, there's not a whole lot of like big players in it. You've got Jude and Cardin, and they're like such the focus of all of this that it's hard to imagine like an expansion of of the world with characters that you don't care about as much as you care about Jude and Carden. Um, Whereas, like with the verse, they're is just such a huge population of characters that we want stories about, um, that it's a little bit easier. So I don't know. I I'm, I'm willing to read anything that Holly black writes and, and gives to me. I will. Yeah. I will. Eat she has it. like a dark but, academia book coming out next year. I'm so excited for it. It's her first adult book, right? Something
2: like that. Yeah. Well, she's written many things that live run free in my brain from mm-hmm. like a, like a, swoon perspective so like if if there's gonna be any romance in that book and it's gonna be adult I just need to like buckle it now apparently and start writing myself because woo the what she does here with like again as I said in the first episode like really like one hot scene per book uh but they do so much work in those scenes and mm, delicious. Should we just those now? Yeah. All right. All right. Here quote let's go back and forth. Uh, Jesse. Do you like to go first?
1: Uh sure. So my first one is, oh, I don't know. I say maybe he'd like to hear me scream. I would. Cardon says standing, and perhaps one day I will, which is in the context of <laughs> of Jude being grievously injured and getting like her, like stitches or <laughs> whatever removed, and it's just <laughs> delightful.
2: <laughs> that whole scene is, I like it. Teja you were texting us about that when you were um reading it, and it just yeah, it's such a good little exchange. Sorry, Tisha. Um,
0: <laughs> this, I think, comes from some of Carden's letters uh, that we don't get in the main book. So if you're listening and you have not actually read Carden's letters, you can just Google them and they're all over the internet, um, but they were included in some special editions of the book, I believe. Um, so this, I, this, I believe, comes from that. Above me is the same silvery moon that shines down on you looking at it makes me recall the glint of your blade pressed against my throat and other romantic moments.
2: Oh, I like it. All right. Um this one is from I actually have a couple from when Cardin goes with the Roach to bust Jude out and it's really funny to me because the Roach is just so exasperated about the fact that he came um but he makes Cardin promise that if something happens that he's to run and Cardin says although i am wearing the cloak mother marrow made me the one that will turn any blade i still promise to run tail between my legs and since i have a tail that should be amusing for everyone he's just he's ready to be a spy again i love love him going going to maddox camp also going to the mortal world to see like what happened to her soft very soft all
1: right does he uh, so I have, she is my wife, the rightful high queen of Elphim, and most definitely not in exile. And I think that quote is just, it, it really, it ends the first part of the book and it's when Judy's literally like fallen from the ceiling <laughs> onto the banquet table And it's like a fantastic moment where Carden is like announcing to everybody that she's high queen. Jude is like injured, like bleeding all over their food. And it's, it's, it's kind of a slapstick moment, which while also being like highly poignant and important,
0: it's a great, like mic drop moment. And it's just in the most dramatic way possible, which feels so Carden. And so Jude. Tasha. To you, I offer honey wine and the hospitality of my table, but to traders and oath breakers, I offer my queen's hospitality instead, the hospitality of knives. Um, I love Cardin basically being like, be nice or my wife is gonna beat you up.
2: It's so good. I love it. This just made me laugh because I'm a lawyer. And this was just my to me. This is
0: <laughs> I specifically saved this. <laughs> I was gonna put this down. I was like, no, I gotta let I gotta let the girls have it.
2: <laughs> uh This is Vivi talking about Maddox's plan to overthrow Cardin. It's ridiculous the way everyone acts like killing a king is going to make someone better at being one. Imagine if, in the mortal world, a lawyer passed the bar by killing another lawyer. It just made me maybe, maybe in the
1: Squid Game bar. Exam. Yeah, I was gonna say Squid <laughs>
2: Game. I will just say that taking the bar exam was one of the singular worst experiences of my life, and if if it involved bloodshed, I really just. I probably wouldn't have survived. You <laughs> know this about myself. It was not fun. So, like
0: preparing for the bar or actually taking it, or, th- or were they both equally terrible?
1: They were both pretty preparing bad. Preparing.
2: How long day? is the bar exam?
1: It's two days. Two full
2: days. What was really stressful for me, Jesse? And maybe it's changed now since Jesse and I took the bar exam, but like you didn't have an internet connection because they didn't want you to cheat. So you like did it on your computer and then you had to take your computer home and upload to the internet. And that was very stressful to me. Because I'm like, what if I had some sort of technical difficulty and my exam didn't like upload where it was supposed to. And then you're happens. like by yourself, which happens. Yeah. That's such a weird way to take a test. That was terrible.
1: My favorite story about during the bar exam is we're in this giant auditorium and like they midway announced like nobody used the bathroom. And then because someone is like, there's been like a medical emergency. And then we heard like sirens like going and the girl next to me goes, well, they failed. <laughs> oh <my
0: God. laughs> Just uh, representing the nice uh, lawyer stereotype there. <laughs>
2: never forget that oh my god yeah it was not a good time i was not mentally well during that last <laughs> <few> week <laughs> I remember saying I lived on the 19th floor of a high-rise that I was going to walk down the stairs on the morning, the bar exam, because I was so nervous I would get trapped in the elevator. I've never gotten trapped in an elevator in my life, but that was my level of paranoia that I was like, not going to make it to the test. It was not good. I'm not doing it again. And I'm certainly not going to engage in bloodshed for it.
1: It's so. <laughs> not worth oh, it. Oh my God. All right. Jesse, do you have more? I do. Um, So Taja, I think you read this earlier, but uh, my next one is, I will bend my head to you, Maddox said under to me under his breath and only you. And I just love that so much because literally in the first book we have him being like, mm, you'll never be a knight. Nah, you're fine. And then at the end, all of a sudden he's like literally bowing his head to her. It's like a huge moment. Um, And I just, I loved it absolutely so much because he's just recognizing that like she earned it. It sucks for him, but yeah. she yeah. did. And he's acknowledging it's so,
0: it. It's so great that like every, everything she accomplishes it forces Matic to once again, be like, I have over, uh, I have underestimated you. Like yeah. every, and yet he continues to do it every time he's like, like, well, I didn't think that you would get this, or I didn't think that you'd and then at the end he's like, Fuck, she's the queen. <laughs> like well, you've reached God. literally the highest, the highest peak you possibly could have. And I still did not believe you were capable of it. Uh, so good. Tasha. Um, I love this. It's from Jude. Um, and it's a great culmination of of that particular arc where she says, um, or she thinks it's okay to want something that's going to hurt. Yeah, yeah.
2: That's gonna hurt so bad. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> ah, Just allowing okay. herself that vulnerability with him is letting herself love him.
2: Yeah. This is from Grandma Mog, uh, who is talking to Jude at the end, and Jude says, "I want you to be my like high general or whatever." She goes, "I tried to kill you." Jude goes, "You described pretty much every important relationship
0: in my life." <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I yeah. I love Grandma Mog.
2: Yeah, she's yeah. great.
0: Yeah. She's so great. That part at the end where she's like, she's like, I'm going to kill you. And then I'm going to eat you. I'm like, Oh
1: my God. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Jesse. So this is from the bonus letters that Tasia mentioned. um, And it's, I urge you come be angry at me at a near distance. And I love that so much. (laughs) That's so good.
0: Tasia. Um, I love this. This is uh, an exchange between Jude and Cardin, and, um, I love it so much because it's towards the end, but you can really just see like how nothing really is going to change between them. There's still going to be like that level of antagonism and, and I just love it. But he says, you don't know how long I've waited to hear those words. He says, you don't want me dead. If you joke about this, I'm going to kill me. He says, raising
2: both black brows. I think I might hate him after all. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. My last one, I actually think, think you have the, the cuddling exchange. Later on, Tasia. But I really like the last chat, uh, the last line of the sexy times chapter, which mm-hmm. is, "How do people like us take off our armor one piece at a time?" I just think that's such a good end cap on on their relationship and how it's not like immediately like love is going to fix everything. They are still learning how to be with each other and trust each other and it's just they're in the process of doing that and it's not going to be easy but they're going to do it. I just really like it. It's just one of those lines from the series that always really sticks out with me.
1: Uh, My last one is kind of silly. It's just for many long days I've been terrified and now when I ought to be feeling great what I wanted to do was hide under a table in the brig with Cardin until I can finally convince myself he's all right and maybe make out with his face if he's feeling up to that. And it's just something that like teenagers say. And it's a reminder that Jude is like a teenager just like us. She's like living in a time period just like us. Um, And yes, there's like magical fair or whatever, but it's she just wants to kiss his face. And I want that for her, too. Yeah. And with all the hesitancy
2: (laughs) she's felt about her attraction to Cardin for so long, that's really satisfying in that moment. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, girl, make out with your husband. Love that for you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man and like the idea of doing it under a table too because like they have that great moment where he finds her under the table in the first book like it's just lovely subtle full circle moments like that all right favorite character in arc Jesse.
1: oh gosh this one was really a close one i i really went in between carden and jude for for arc and carden is sort of easily my favorite character which feels a little unfair <laughs> but um what, I, what what really made me choose Carden's arc over Jude's is I feel like Jude is not really complete yet. Um, whereas I feel like Carden comes a little bit more, a little bit further for, cause I feel like Jude really, I, I really, what I really want for her is to be in, okay with who she is and okay with her humanity. Um, and also like an understanding of like her power and what she wants. And I think she really gets so close there, especially with like recon- recognizing that power isn't something she's willing to sacrifice the people and things she loves for, unlike Matic. And so I really like love that for her and I want her to keep going and working on that. And and in the epilogue, the fact that she's still like so nervous about Carden like ruining the humans, like you have to trust in the process. Like I, I want that for her to like continue going. So that's sort of what made me pick Carden's arc. Over Judas, in terms of that being my favorite, and him like starting, like not wanting to be high king, having this prophecy like hanging over his head, and understanding that he does have valuable skills and that he can be a good king, and that even though he's this like boy, like starved for love, that he is willing to put that on the line in order to earn that from his subjects and become like a really worthy king. And I love that. And it was really powerful, especially for me on reread. So that is why I chose Cardin as my favorite card.
0: Beautiful. Tasia? Um, same. <laughs> <laughs> um, nothing to add. No. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's so close to me that it's almost like even just sitting here while you were talking, Jesse, I went back and forth between Cardin and Jude like five times. So my favorite character and Ark is basically both of them. Um, I I feel like Carden was sort of already there by this book, arc-wise. So I think I'm leaning more towards Jude as far as Ark. But uh yeah, it's it's close and favorite characters are really close too. I love both of them a lot.
2: I love Carden so much, so he's my favorite character. And before this book, I would have said Cardin for Ark, just from like before we're reading this book specifically, just because I do really think it's one of my favorite arcs that I've read in all of books. Like he's we, and we in all about this of the book. book in all of book <laughs> <laughs> book <laughs> and books plural too. Uh, <laughs> but like we talked about this before in other in other episodes on this series, like it, this is a a true hate to love because they really do hate each other, and in the same way this is a really good character arc. he's not a good person at the beginning. You know, so often we think of like a villain um, and how like maybe they had these like seeds of good in them the whole time. Um, or it's a situation where they're not really a villain. You know, and Akatar comes to mind. Cardin is not a good person at the beginning of the series and he knows that and he admits that. And so to see where he goes is really rewarding. The reason I say Jude is my favorite arc this time around is because I often I'm guilty of selling Jude short. And when I think about this series, I don't think about Jude and how I know that she's a badass murderer and I love that side of her, but I did not really fully appreciate the subtlety of her arc and what she goes through in this series. I was, you know, harsh on her for falling victim to to her own internal doubts about Cardin at the beginning of this book, but to see her realize that she can have some nuance in her life and that doesn't make her weak is really just kind of mind blowing to me how she at the end of the day realizes that she has space for mercy and love in her life. And that's not a weakness is just, it's, it's really, it's really something special, I think. And it, it, when this whole series is about power and the power struggles um, and how sometimes that's not necessarily like the most compelling, like in, in books generally, but the way that she kind of walks away from that chance to have that ultimate power at the end, because it's, it, it wouldn't be satisfying to her because of her feelings for Cardin And she doesn't want to be that type of queen of monsters. It's just it meant a lot to me way more than I was anticipating, uh, in reading this book. So if I, if I had to say series trilogy, I'll go garden, but just the work Jude does in this book is, is really special. I think. Yeah. So yeah. These babies, I love them. And really main reason I love them is the food section here. So like, let's talk about that too, because it's tough here. All right, Jesse yeah
1: so this one is kind of simple but my first one is by you I am forever undone and that's what Carden says to Jude and I don't know why but the fact that he can't lie just makes literally everything he says that much more like empowering like not that I like look back at my favorite swoon moments in other books and be like wow that one didn't matter because that person could lie like that's not true at all (laughs) like I'm sure they like really fully and truly believe what they say and like it read like that but the fact that he like is forced, like compelled to say exactly what he believes in his heart when he talks. It just, it it, it lends everything that he says with even more like gravitas for some reason. And so for him to just be like, you're you're it for me. Like I can't, like, I just am so overwhelmed by you. Like I'm just undone by you.
2: And the power dynamics we talked about Mm -hmm. in that scene too. Like it's a confession of like, you- she topples all of his reserves all of his walls like he he can't help it it's it's locked i have a tapestry
0: in my room that i got from owl Crate that has that quote by you for i am forever undone and it's literally in my bedroom and i pass by it every single day and every time i'm like Ugh. it's like a, <laughs> a kick to the chest so good change what do you got um so this is again from uh cardin's letters which become more and more unhinged and i love it um I urge you, come be angry at a nearer distance.
2: <laughs> um, My all time favorite, which I know you guys will yell at me for stealing moments because I always do this, but like <laughs> I put this in before I even started reading the book because I think about it all the time and I could like say it from the top of my head, which is when Jude tells him, Max says you'll do for love. And he's like, for whose love? And then he just pauses and goes, It's you I love, he says. I spent much of my life guarding my heart. I guarded it so well that I could behave as though I didn't have one at all. Even now, it is a shabby, worm eaten, and scabrous thing, but it is yours. You probably guessed as much, but just in case you didn't. And then he, like, walks out of the room, and she's, like, so shell-shocked. It's just – it's such a simple declaration, and he, the fact that he just feels compelled to, like, lay it out on – the, like you said, Jesse, lay it out on the line right there. They're about to go into this big, like – summit of the entire plot of this book. And he just lays it on the line there. It's, it's really good. I mean, you're absolutely right. He doesn't put like a,
0: it's not some giant declaration. He's not on his knees. He's not like, you know, it's just kind of a casual, like, you know, you probably already know this, but just in case I just thought I'd tell you it's, and then he just walks off. Like, it's nothing like that, that makes it somehow even more impactful. I don't know. It's yeah. just, it's good stuff.
1: It's real good. Jesse, do you have more? Yeah. So this is my last one. Um, and it happens when they're in the carriage right after Jude like released Carden from the snake. And it says, and you, he looks at me, his lips curving into something that's not quite a smile. It's more and less than that. I knew little else, but I always knew you. And when he kisses me, I fall as though I can finally breathe again. And the fact that he was this like trapped in this monster's body and he just, he always knew her. Um, it brings me back to like when she just sits there in the throne room with him, with him as the snake, and it's just like even at his like most monstrous, he he knew her, and that's like true love. Like I'm done. Jordan All he's go got are like
0: <laughs> killing instincts and love for his wife. It's just it's a lot. Yeah, it's,
1: mm. he always knew her. Oh, I just I love yeah. that so much. That's just so like the epitome of swoon for me. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. I'm yeah, coming don't... on the heels after of like her running to him
1: mm-hmm. him like so holding good. her so tightly Ah, it's too much the whole life. it's so romantic the so fact beautiful. that you're at your lowest and like all you can think like yeah that that transcends like yeah uh, i can't <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: this is again from uh carden's letters um I flattered myself that at moments you had feelings for me other than contempt, but even were that true, they would make, make, but a thin gruel beside the feast of your other greater desires. And yet my heart is buried with you in the strange soil of the mortal world. As it was drowned with you in the cold waters of the undersea, it was yours before I could admit it and yours. It shall ever remain.
1: Really?
2: The letters are really astounding to me too, because when June comes back, he's, she's like, what's in them? And he was like embarrassing (laughs) confessions and she like it's it's played (laughs) off as such a joke but like no he's really laying it out on the line this man can write a letter he really can this is one of the last letters um is my last favorite soon moment to uh come home and shout at me come home and fight with me come home and break my heart if you must just come home that one is my favorite one that is my
0: my biggest Uh, i read those letters and they physically hurt me i oh god pardon yeah all right <laughs> i have one more um and this is in their post coitus <laughs> cuddly moment i'm glad we're
1: ending with this one this is the yeah. perfect one to end. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i miss you i missed you i whisper against his skin and feel dizzy with the intimacy of the admission feel more naked than when he could see every inch of me in the mortal world when i thought you were my enemy i still missed you my sweet nemesis how glad i am that you returned like <laughs> oh jude like (laughs) passing up like her feelings for him in that moment like uh, oh my sweet nemesis i i feel like uh, my heart is being carved from my chest with a spoon Mm
1: -hmm.
2: that's feelings that's Mm -hmm. the relationship (laughs) when i thought you were my enemy i told you i keep (laughs) melting down like damn i uh you know no, I don't even want to give air airtime to the haters. I'm not gonna say it. I'm gonna say <laughs> <I> well. <laughs> Some people say sometimes that the most romantic thing or the best part about this series are Carton's letters. And Cardin's letters are works of art, Holly. They're beautiful. It makes me very sad if I stop to think about how Jude will never read them because Lady Asha destroyed them all. But the reason they mean so much is everything else that we get from them. It's all of the series. It's every little bit of buildup we got. And it is so encapsulated by that exchange change, which you read, like they think they are enemies, like they were enemies. She is his nemesis there. They've had to do so much. They have to take off that armor one step at a time. And, and they're doing that. And it. Uh, to, to miss out on that, on that, I feel sad for other people because yeah. like we could never get the the letters and I would be well fed by like yeah. what this book gives me. And it, it's so much they their delicious icing on the cake. And I love them a lot. Mm-hmm.
1: I have the like, I, I think I bought this one, the third one on like Amazon to get it like the day it came out. Cause I was, like I said, dying over that cliffhanger. And um, there's so many beautiful editions of this book that the various book boxes have like and you can buy them for, like, $1,000 or whatever online. And, like, I'm really sad that I, like, missed my opportunities to buy them because they're all beautiful. But I did actually end up buying the Queen of Nothing Barnes & Noble version. I found a copy on eBay for, like, $20 because I wanted the letters. So it's the only one of these books that I own another version of um, because I needed the letters.
2: Those <laughs> are so good. They're, they are really, really good. And
0: also, as I, as I messaged you guys in <laughs> – in our DM, if I don't find somebody to call me my sweet nemesis, what is even the point? No
2: point. No point. None. It's God. I'm feeling like, like, I like, I'm going to burst out of my skin. Like, <laughs> I just really love this world. I'm really, I love this book. I love these two. Uh, They're such a good, a good pair. And the it, it the romance moments we get just mean so much more because of who they are and the journey they go on and I just someone else wrap this up because I'm spiraling. Like.
1: Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna wrap it up for you guys I'm the guest I'm not yeah. supposed to do the <laughs> um, um where else can right, people well- <laughs> find you <on> <laughs> so uh yeah
0: I don't I've never wrapped it up before
2: I'm okay wait give me a second I can do it All right. Well. Friends. Now that I've (laughs) been the (laughs) So I just realized I have never
0: wrapped up this show myself. And I just my mind went completely empty. I was like, how does this
2: work? (laughs) I don't know either. Jesse, take the wheel. No. um, Uh, (laughs) So guys, whoo! Bring it back in here. So next week we're gonna have uh, another short episode. Uh, to wrap this up, we're not done with folk air technically yet because Holly gifted us during the awful year that was 2020 with a book called how the King of Alfheim Learned to Hate Stories. It is a beautiful illustrated novella length book of a series of short stories from Carden's life. And it's great. And it has some just lovely little nuggets in it. And so we're going to take some time to talk about that in its own episode just because it's beautiful and it deserves it. It makes us happy. And it's our podcast we do what we want. Uh, but then we may as well announce what we're going to do after that. Just in case y'all need to check out library books or something, we are going to be Following up to an episode we did earlier this year, we we're going to be covering Redemptor, which is the sequel, the final book in the duology Raybearer by Jordan Ifueco uh, Our friend Aubrey is going to come back to talk with us about that. And we are very excited. So that'll come out a couple of weeks after our Novella* episode. And we're very excited about it. And we're in the tail end of the year here, <laughs> friends, which is quite um, something, what we are going to do, I think we, we can start like soliciting this now because we have gotten some listener emails, which we're really excited about as we've read here. One of the things we were talking about is doing like a year-end wrap episode where we talk about everything that we've read this year and what we really like. And um, We thought it'd be fun if maybe we got some listener questions during that time. We'll post on Instagram too, but may as well start soliciting them now. So if you have any questions, mailbag. thoughts, yeah, let's do a little mailbag. Shoot us an email at act you age pod at gmail.com. You can also find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at actyh. Jesse, please tell our friends where they can connect with you online and plug your podcast here as well.
1: Yeah. I am on a podcast with uh our friend Annie and we talk about the works of Jane Austen it's called the daily nightly and we're currently making our way through Mansfield Park which is not my favorite Austen book but it's been a pleasure to discuss it with Annie and um we're almost at the tail end at least I think every time I say that there's like more of it um but tune into <laughs> that and we, we've also covered sense and sensibility and pride and prejudice so um check us out um you can also find me on the internet at book Jesse is better where I am on Instagram talking about books usually with Tasia and Corinne <laughs>
2: Yeah. Tasia. Uh, You can
0: find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ragey Cakes.
2: And I'm on Instagram at Rin underscore reads. Friends, thanks so much for listening along with us for three episodes on the series. If you're new to it, I hope that you found a new favorite because uh, as we said, we covered this later in our podcast run than we thought. And it's kind of shocking given how much we love it. I I'm so glad we finally did cover it because uh, out of all everything we've covered it's in the top echelons for me, I think. So mm-hmm. and thank you to you two for making me read it back in the day. I very much appreciate that because I love it a lot. All right, friends, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.